Welcome, welcome, welcome. Once again, uh, we are reconvening in the halls of cinematic justice to discuss all things filmic. And uh, joining me today is Damo Peromko. Hello. And myself, Jared Walker. We're going to guide you through uh, inane chatter and filmic meanderings. Once again, we are throwing the pod bay doors wide open and heading into a dark but visually stunning and philosophical world, the world of filmmaker Alex Proyas. The Greek-Egyptian-Australian filmmaker is based in Sydney, and he's a graduate of the Australian Film, Television and Radio School, studied alongside fellow graduates Jocelyn Morehouse and Jane Campion, but uh, he's a particularly influential filmmaker for me, and a number of his films have had a very strong impact on me. So he's an interesting, he's an interesting filmmaker to chat about. When I look at his body of work, it's obviously Spirits of the Air, Gremlins of the Clouds. Now, I should, I should mention that Alex Proyas has quite a prolific career as a music video director. And, yes, Sting, and NXS, and... Yes, uh, House. Fleetwood Mac as well. Mm-hmm. I think he made videos. Nike, Nissan, and Swatch. What I've got written here, <laughs> Swatch. Yeah, oh, I remember Swatches. Yeah, so I, I think he it was a very he's a very talented visualist. He is a talented guy because you, the, the films are quite different. Hmm. Uh, Spirits of the Air, Gremlins of the Sky, Clouds. Yeah, <laughs> Spirits of the Air, Gremlins of the Clouds. Um, it's it's a it's a curious. I hadn't seen it up until the recent Blu-ray, mm. which got a nice shiny, you know, That's right. spit and polish. Proyas owns it. He owns, yeah, he owns the film outright, I believe. I've so they gave it a nice that. in so, 2K remaster yeah. off the 16 mil. Right. Looks amazing. 4.3, mm. but that's that's fine because that's how it was shot. Well, it's, it is a very striking looking film. Set somewhere in the future. Yes. It's brother like, and sister Felix and Betty Crabtree. Crabtree, yes. Yeah. Live alone in a homestead in a des- on a desert plain. Yeah, it's just this barren wasteland, this expanse, and lots of wind machine action. Dust I, I, I remember watching it as I was watching it. The imagery of it mm. was more compelling than the actual story. I found it it's just by the end of it, I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah. But looking at it, you could put a lot of those, freeze it, and frame it, stick it on the wall. Mm. Some of those images are. Beautiful and curious, like the cars. Remember the yes, yes, that's right. And the, the almost like like yeah. sculptures. It's like yeah. it's um, sculpture by the sea or something. So much nice things to look at, but I didn't find because uh, what are we saying here? Their, their solitary lives are interrupted by a man with a mysterious past. Mm. So he tells them his name is Smith. I mean, it's very generic. Yeah, it's very g- generic. He's fleeing north. Very dodgy. Mm. But people are chasing him. Yes. So brother Felix tells him that he, where he wants to go is blocked by cliffs and mountains. His only chance to get past it is to fly. Mm. So they decide to build a flying machine. Build a flying machine. And, and sort of backgrounding that is the sibling of Felix, Betty, who is obsessively religious. Kind yeah, of there's a that, lot of religious uh, iconography. Icon- yeah. A lot of iconography going on. And in that very strange kind of like Carrie's mother, Piper <laughs> Laurie is Carrie's mother, kind of nutty religious way. And well, she convinces herself that, that Smith is, is like being an outsider uh, and he's somehow invaded. He's a demon. He's a demon from hell. He's invaded their world. And she's got to get rid of him. And she sets her plans against him. And it's quite an interesting film. It's like an announcement. It's like... He, this is a vision. This is my particular perspective on this subject matter. 
the story I'm telling. It's very visually dynamic. It's very it's quite powerful from that perspective. Yeah, like, the music though sky, I, found, I found it desert. annoyed me somewhat. I think it was a little bit. Yeah, it actually, um, it um, that like sort of that cello. It's quite nice. Like I, I, I just found by the but... an hour and a half, hour and thirty five minutes of it. It's like, okay, mm. I didn't not enjoy it. Yeah, double negative, but. I I liked looking at it more than the story. Yeah. I think that's a, what you've said there is kind of, I think that that we can use as a spirit level on all his other films because yeah. it's basically, he runs this weird gauntlet of balancing the striking visuals with a meaty story and meaty subject matter. And sometimes the story wins out and engages you and pulls you in and you sort of... But the uh, characters aren't necessarily exactly likable. No. That then brings us to a different kind of topic when it comes to the sort of themes of his stuff. But for me, The Crow was, I think, probably the first major film I saw of his that... Because I think I saw The Crow when it was first released. I saw it in the cinema with friends, um, obviously. Yeah, me too. After all the controversy of yep. uh, Brandon Lee was being killed on the set of the film, um, apparently only eight days before filming was due to end. I think he only had three days left of shooting himself. Oh, really? Yeah. And I know Proyas was very close friends with Brandon Lee. Because at that stage, he hadn't done a lot of movies, had he? Uh, he'd done Showdown in Little Tokyo with Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> And uh, he had done Rapid Fire. Rapid Fire. I, um, I like Rapid yeah, Fire. Yeah, Rapid Fire is a good sort of uh, tab A into slot B, sort of nuts and bolts action Fun. thriller. Yeah. And he's great in it. He's, yes. He was very charming. He was very affable. Um, Showdown Little Tokyo, weirdly, I found him more entertaining in that than in Rapid Fire. But yeah, he was definitely a star on the rise. I mean, he. Uh, who knows what he would have gone on to do given the ambition behind The Crow and just how much of a leveling up it was for him as a performer. I think it boded well for where his career might have gone. Proyas and the producers, basically after Lee's death, they looked at what footage they had. They looked at what they had remaining. And so they did a few rewrites and famously bought in a stunt double. Yes, and, uh, did to, a bit of CGI as bit well. bit of CGI to sort of finish the remaining scenes. Well, I think, because um, I remember the controversy at the time, mm. should they be doing it and all that kind of nonsense. Right, but yeah. if if you don't do that, would we wouldn't have seen the film. That's right. So and It's kind of all for nothing. It's like... Well, well that's then, a huge loss because yeah. the film is terrific. Yeah. It was a terrific film. It had some great performances in it. Um, of course, it had one of my personal, personal favourite bad guys, and yep. that is... Um, Michael Wincott. He's good. He is such. Yeah, he's good. He is such a terrific bad guy. You're him, huh? The Avenger, the killer of killers. Nice outfit. Not sure about his face, though. I just want him. Well, you can have him. Well, I see you have made your decision. Now let's see you enforce it. Oh, this is already boring the shit out of me. Kill him! Michael Wincott, as you could hear, very entertaining bad guy, very entertaining villain. And this film is is littered with <laughs> sort of inventively portrayed bad guys because obviously this is ultimately a revenge story. It is the idea of an intense love story feeding into a, a revenge tale. 
and Eric Draven, a murdered musician, portrayed by Brandon Lee, returning from the grave to wreak revenge on these baddies that killed him and his love. The Crow has such a sense of melancholy and obviously based on James O'Barr's graphic novel, which again is it's steeped in a sort of gothic tradition. The music is the cure. It's new. Uh, Joy the soundtrack Division. is great. It's a yeah. The the soundtrack is terrific. But Alex Proyas went out to a lot of modern musos and asked them to kind of do it. Then there are quite a few covers and reworkings of yeah. Joy Division tracks, of Cure tracks. I think I've still got the soundtrack. It is at home terrific on soundtrack. It's like it's got a, such a great array of artists on there. See, as we, spirits we were talking about, I liked looking at it yeah. but not the story as much mm. this one i like looking at it i enjoy the story it's probably out of all of the films well see it for me it's hard to talk about is the crow the favorite or is dark city the f- but then you've got garage days which again was quite design heavy okay but- so my notes for this i said i've got the story of a young garage band in sydney trying to make it big haven't seen it because I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It, look, he, he executes it with a very primary coloured comic booky flourish. There's a lot of punchy visuals. The, the, the synopsis is like, no, nah, not uh, doing that. You know, it, it's interesting to me that you've got Spirits of the Air, Gremlins of the Clouds, The Crow and Dark City. And those three films are very personal visions, but they grew in scope and grew in scope. Obviously, The Crow, that would have just been such a... Um, and it's no wonder it was four years between The Crow and Dark City. You know Paramount were originally... They were doing The Crow? No. Because it was... That. And then Brandon Lee was shot mm. accidentally on mm. set and they pulled out and, they pulled and then out. Miramax picked it up and threw $8 million more at it. That's so strange that they pulled out and didn't sort of see it through to the end. You think I, they would yeah. have, That's so... Anyway, I guess, again... But what whatever happened is good because what we've ended up with yes. is this DVD. The, that, that, what do you call it? No, the other thing. Blu-ray. That's the one. <laughs> Yeah, so those first three films, they kind of, they they almost escalate in terms of ambition. But then you've got Garage Days, which is very much him keeping things on a smaller scale, but still wanting to inject it with a sense of verve and kind of the panache, the visual kind of panache that he has. But personally, I found a lot of the humor in it that didn't land. And it is, a, it is a comedy. It's very raucous and silly. And it does go for sort of quite hallucinogenic, strange Aussie sequences. knockabout? Yes. Mm-hmm. But in a, it's kind of like, it's like it takes place in a, in a sort of fantastic re- alternate reality where, it, yeah, it's Sydney, but it's very colorful and stylized. And um, do, a, do I need to add it mm-hmm. to the list? Should I become a completist and yeah if you if you're a completist it's worth seeing but see then if i was going to recommend it i probably would i'm not going to be it. a completist and we'll talk about that in a minute so then you've got the next jump he made another studio film and that's i robot fraught with controlling and meddling studio execs and um, everyone's opinion basically and having to wrestle with that and and wrangle day to day on a set where you felt the studio were actually actively working against you Apparently, Will Smith was a bit of a, a compatriot on set and he was a bit of a go-between with the studio and sort of leveraged his star power to keep the studio from messing too much with what Alex Proyas wanted to do with Isaac Asimov's book. His follow-up to that is, again, kind of like a mix between iRobot's studios, the studio, the business, the Hollywood, the gloss side of things, and again, this personal vision, this obviously very intensely philosophical uh, idea 
of determinism versus random events and again it's sort of science versus religion and it explores all these ideas that are very much prevalent in dark city as well in fact dark city and know and and knowing which stars nicholas cage see and that's why i've not seen it i mean i can't be a, a prius bloody completist because i i can't do nicholas cage films. yeah i i i think nicholas cage has uh affected a lot of people differently personally i've got a lot of time for him but there's moonstruck uh, raising arizona con air and the rock the rock yeah if it's not those four films leaving las vegas was a great film um not seen it you not seen it breaking that's, my nicholas cage rule that's worth <laughs> Well, if, if you've got a Nicolas Cage rule... It was it, And the, the reason that I've seen those uh, other films is I used to be a co-ord many years ago for the movie channel mm. and I played them. So I watched them right. as I put them to wear. But mm. otherwise... Because I, I was surprised at Moonstruck. I thought Moonstruck was good, but um, we're digressing. We're digressing. So knowing is essentially kind of a, like a science fiction apocalyptic thriller it does with supernatural elements mit professor links a mysterious list of numbers from a time capsule to past and future disasters and sets out to prevent a catastrophe hmm. now that yeah i want to see that but it's got nicholas cage it's in got it. nicholas cage in it but that, that's a good thing that is a good thing i mean nicholas cage when you sort of if you if it comes down to you trying to defend nicholas cage or sell the idea of him it's a chalk and cheese type thing. A lot of people, I think, find it grating his his natural proclivity to go over the top with, with characters. But again, I forgot I've, about Face Off. I've, yeah, Face. Oh, like let's. Yeah, Sorry. that's another day. Yeah. That's the that's a John Woo day. But I think with uh, with Nicolas Cage and his performance style, he I think he's just really game. He's just really game and will jump in and commit to the craziest ideas and he's very intuitive as a performer hence um you, know, you hear lots of stories about like his peggy sue got married character where he has the the enormous buck teeth and the really high voice and uh um when apparently he wanted to do that and francis coppola who the director was just like what being also his uncle <laughs> so his the director is his uncle and because uh, his name is nicholas coppola you learn something new yeah, every day that's why he changed it to cage so he didn't want to sort of have it not taint but mm -hmm. expect that the, the, you know be well, riding burdened. on coattails anyway riding on coattails yeah. or he didn't want to be burdened with the expectations of coppola the name so he changed it to cage uh, based off luke cage the comic book character because oh. as we all know he's a huge comic book geek and used to have an extensive collection which he sold recently is that um the motorcycle flamey thing yeah he did ghost rider that. a lot of a lot of the choices he makes with a lot of the films he does are based off this natural kind of attraction he has to comic book or fantasy fantastic shall we say subject matter cool mm -hmm. stories he i think he's drawn to that type of stuff and he does tend to do a lot of fantasy now that he's begun his kind of steven seagal-esque run of straight to dvd and straight to streaming films where it just seems like he's just constantly working where i think he you don't so much as ask him if he wants to take a role you literally just walk to his house and, and rip off a number and you just stand <laughs> there and wait for him to come out and ask you what the role is because he will do anything but so he's knowing good Yes, and I. It is good for a lot of reasons, but I don't want to necessarily spoil the ending for people that might not have seen it. But what I love about it is, much like Dark City, 
it hinges on a mystery, but then the mystery is simply a construct to lead you into a, a greater reveal that happens later in the film. So it's the MacGuffin. It's, it is a MacGuffin, very much so. And in Dark City, uh, if you remember in Dark City, in Bumstead, who's played by William Hurt, that character uh, in very much a film noir style is on the trail of a... Um, mass murderer who's uh, killing prostitutes. And it's and either our lead character or not. It might be. It might not be. He mm. doesn't even know himself because he's an amnesiac and he begins the film. Uh, he begins Dark Isn't that a great wake-up, though, yes. in the bathtub? Yes. And the goldfish. And the goldfish. Oh, my God. And it's such a striking, visually striking film. And again, all these sort of concerns with philosophical ideas of determinism versus uh, randomness. Are we just in a cold unforgiving, unthinking universe that we, we're just on this ball of rock hurtling through space, nothing we do matters, or are we actually being manipulated mm. by outside forces that are unknown to us? And this idea every day. and that everything we do is actually predetermined and that everything we do is actually controlled and manipulated by greater powers. And that idea is very prevalent in Dark City. That's pretty much what the plot is. And it is. Also- and, but, but after The Crow, we got four years between The Crow and yeah. this one. And I, I enjoyed The Crow so much. I went mm. to Dark City. I, I raced to the cinema to see this. Yes. It's like, oh, my God. This is And shot in Sydney. Shot at Fox Studios. The paint was not even dry when they started filming at Fox Studios. And the cast. You look at um, William Hurt, as you said, Keith Sutherland. You've got Richard O'Brien. Yes. Colin Friels, Bruce Spence, Melissa George. Yes. It has a terrific cast. And, and the, the lead actor, Rufus Sewell. Rufus Sewell. Um, I, As Murdoch. I once got invited to the Soho Club when I was living in London and uh, I sat at his table because I, I didn't realise it was reserved. <laughs> Excuse me, I have a reservation for this table. And I'm like, oh! And then in my mind, I'm like, you're Rufus Sewell from Dark City. <laughs> but I, I was like, yeah, sh- uh, sorry, mate. Yeah, no worries. I had to keep it cool. But I do really like Rufus Sewell. Obviously, he is currently starring in the final series of Man in the High Castle on Amazon, which I highly recommend people check out uh, based on the Philip K. Dick uh, novel, the Hugo Award-winning novel, Man in the High Castle, about a sort of uh, alternate reality where the Japanese and the Germans won the Second World War and then split America down the middle. And so you've got a sort of a DMZ down through the um, Midwest of America and then the East Coast and the West Coast are split between the Nazis and the Japanese. That sounds quite curious. And it's quite a strange idea, but um, the series is beautifully made. Ridley Scott produces it and uh, it's actually really worth checking out. But Rufus Sewell plays a major character in that. So, and, uh, But have you seen the director's cut that's on this Blu-ray of I, Dark City? I have, I have. And uh, because famously the voiceover, it's always voiceovers. Yeah, Blade was, Runner. Was added uh, at the beginning of Dark City because the studio were really worried that no one would understand what the plot was. So in the director's cut, it still exists, but it's further into yeah, the movie. That's right. They took it from the beginning. And, um, and there's like 15 minutes longer or something. Yes. And one thing I really love about Dark City is, you know, the, the plot that hinges on this idea of uh, subterranean aliens who are manipulating the reality in which the humans in the story live. And so every, the strangers, the strangers, these high necked leather 
clad, trench coat wearing, pale faced looking. I've individuals. just remembered a guy I worked with. It was an extra. Oh, really? Yeah, he went and sh- he was filming at night or something, in, opposite of what his shift was because That's he fantastic. looked quite odd. Yes. And I've just remembered that. Yeah, I know that there was actually quite a few actors in Sydney involved in that. I've, I've known a person that was in that cast of pale, bald heads <laughs> in white, uh, in, sorry, in black leather. You're not saying that as you look at me. No, I'm <laughs> saying if you, wanna, if, you, if you wanted to maybe wear a Halloween costume, you could be Mr. Hand, I believe. That's Richard O'Brien's character. I think there's definitely uh, similar themes. Also, let's not forget, I think... People see Dark City now and they relate it to The Matrix. Now, The Matrix came after Dark City. Mm. The Matrix actually filmed on Dark City set. At the beginning of The Matrix, Trinity, played by Carrie Ann Moss, has been uh, chased across uh, rooftops. Yep. And those rooftops are a set from Dark City. Um, Dark City's a remarkable, like, like I said, with Spirits in the, of the Air there to watch, but mm. this has a, an engaging story yes is he the serial killer yeah is he a killer or isn't he and at a certain point the story then flips the worm turns somewhat and you sort of looking at it from a completely different angle and then you're not even sure if that's even relevant and anymore really enjoyed Keith Sutherland too Keith Sutherland's great in it yeah yeah he he's actually really good and I, I, I like that he's He's in it playing a very sort of Kafka-esque character. It is, it is, people watch it and like I was saying, they watch it and they go, oh, it's a lot like the Matrix with these trench coat wearing leather clad baddies and, it's like, you know, all these death defying um, stunts and leaping from buildings and grabbing. The, on the Matrix is like Dark City. Yeah. That's basically what. Uh, <laughs> Not what to I'm take inferring. anything away from Not Matrix. Not to take anything away from I the Wachowskis. I love, yeah. I love the Wachowskis. And, and oh, no, no. Matrix is one. Two and three. Oh, uh, two and three. Did they? That's make, a, did they uh, I didn't think there were sequels. Uh, yeah, The Matrix. The first film is, let's face it, just just as much of a landmark as Dark City. But to me, Dark City is um, important because of the philosophical ideas it explores, but also because of how daring and audacious it is. And it takes an individual like Alex Proyas to actually have the the cojones, I think, to throw it up. Interesting to screen. know how long all those effects took. Oh, just because it's. it's Beautiful. It's beautiful. It owes a lot to German expressionism. Well, that's going to say it's compared to Metropolis in yeah. particular. I would talk about Fritz Lang massively, like at, at length, uh, just in his own right as a filmmaker. Um, I love the film M, which I highly recommend oh, people Peter check Laurie. out with Peter Laurie yeah. about a child murderer and how the local crime syndicates and gangsters in the, this German city that take it upon themselves to find the killer because of the heat that it's actually bringing on them from the local law enforcement. So they decide they're going to track down the killer themselves. And it's just an interesting story in and of itself, but the stylistics involved in it, a lot of shadows, obviously, but it's very, very similar. And a lot of the architecture as well from those films and a lot of the set design, you can see is quite prevalent in Dark City. I was in a museum in Germany Mm. And they had the robot from Metropolis. Wow. Right there. No it's, photos, so fantastic. I only took a selfie with it. German expressionism is rife throughout Dark City, and the visuals are definitely inspired by that. This idea of uh, sort of a mishmash of melding architectural styles and the film itself being a melding of genre styles where you've got 
film noir crossing paths with science fiction. It does have a very paths. film noir feel. Oh, it's massively, and yeah. all the characters are very much inspired by that. But then this idea of reality being manipulated is also something that it was something in the water in the late in the late nineties for sure. And this idea of reality not being what you think it is, and that's not a new idea. And as the aforementioned Philip K. Dick was obsessed with that concept. I think that. It's not un, you know unheard of to, for things to be in a collective unconscious and for film make, films to come, sort of come around at the same time exploring similar ideas, but I think Alex Proyas deserves huge props for getting that film out in in and I love Dark City I love it maintaining the vision yeah but you know following on from that with uh, Garage Days is was for me I have to admit I was slightly disappointed because. When you see that kind of level of sort of audaciousness and then you can, I don't know, it sort of drops off and mm. then out comes Garage Days, which felt very perfunctory. Yeah, it had a sort of, an, it had that quintessential Aussie flavor to it. And, you know, it had a great young cast and uh, Pia Miranda and, and is it Kit Gurry who was also in it? Like, it did, had a, oh, yeah, it did have a pretty it. good young, yes, young cast. Does. And, you know, look, uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Russell Dykstra and uh, had a few Aussie actors that I, I really enjoy. And Tyrion Mora, of course, who was, uh, we'd all know from The Castle and Frontline, does a lot of working dog gear. Yeah. But it had, look, it had a good cast, but I was left wanting. iRobot, again, I d didn't feel, I did not feel that that was a film that was singular to Alex Proyas. I did not feel like that That was a filmmaker. I, I think any director of his caliber could have knocked out iRobot. I didn't feel like it had his stamp on it. And that to me was probably down to the studio meddling. Possibly, but I, I've i seen it a few times. Yeah, yeah, I quite I quite liked it. I enjoyed the ideas. So I, like of, the, I like Will Smith. I like yeah. Independence Day. Yeah. He's made some shit, but <laughs> I, I like his character in this. Why is he so distrusting of... Robots, mm. we learn why. Bit of tech fear. Look, I, I think Proyas is, he's a good studio director, but I think he needs to also be allowed to sort of express his idiosyncrasies and, they, and that Well, that but that's not necessarily going to happen if you sign up for a studio. I mean, that's 20th yeah. Century Fox. Well, you know, I think he did that with Knowing, and I think that's probably what attracts me more to Knowing than iRobot. And, and Knowing, if you get past the fact that it has Nicolas Cage in it. Which I, me, probably I can't. Which I, for me was just not an issue. I watched it, and I actually wrote a review for it for filming. What did you say uh, then? I felt my, my feelings were that after, I believe I even used the phrase, uh, the phrase after Nicolas Cage has burnt his credibility card, um, his filmic credibility card, he's kind of... Reinstilled a sense of faith in me, in him as a performer. Like I enjoyed that he took a risk, took a punt because obviously it's 2009, and mm. back then, you know, he's still quote unquote Nicolas Cage, and he was just doing feature films. He wasn't just pumping out all his straight to streaming and straight to DVD uh, pap that he's doing now. Um, and it felt special, and it felt interesting and original, and and this idea of. Um, I think I need to give it a look, don't I? Because you if do I, need to if give I it a love that, because I do, I love the, those films. If you love Dark City, you need to watch Knowing because okay. Knowing deals with the same themes, has a similar plot construction, and the ending is definitely one of the most audacious, batshit crazy endings that I have seen in a film. Like where you're just crazy. Yeah, it is a genuinely nutty ending. Like All it's right. so audacious and kind of out there. I loved it actually for that. 
Um, and that was a big plus for me. And look, I've always felt um, Proyas is a great filmmaker, but all like all good filmmakers, sometimes you make a bad film. And he then went on to make Gods of Egypt. Well, look, what, what, what can you say? I've got really? two pages of notes, so apparently lots. Yeah. 2016 was not a good year for him, and I know that he reacted with a lot of volatility towards the critical reception of that film. It didn't do well at the box office. And uh, it was d- kind disease of... vultures picking at the bones of a dying carcass. Yeah, th- those were the words he used to describe Facebook, yeah. film reviewers and critics. And I myself got on, I actually uh, was friends with him on Facebook and I started up an argument with him, a uh, comment thread for some particular post he made. It was simply, I, I kind of bristled against this idea that um, film critics and film reviewers are irrelevant and therefore uh, anything they say shouldn't be listened to. And I pointed out I the fact. I disagree with that. I just said, well, Roger Ebert does a commentary on your Dark City director's yeah. cut. Yeah. And exactly how do you explain that? And he singled out Roger Ebert and said he'd, he'd had dinner with him once when he met up with him in the States and he was a lovely man, but uh, he's an exception, not the rule. You can't dismiss all critics. Because uh, and I keep uh, every episode I've talked about Margaret and David. They're the kind of people that they want to find the positives that's right. in a bad film. And that's right. What's wrong with that? That's what, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's also a very, a very no pun intended, critical role that um, that critics and reviewers play, and that is drawing attention to the little movies. The it's films the, that you wouldn't necessarily see. It's and this is the thing that frustrated me the most about Proyas's outburst. I do think that he was reacting. He's obviously there's a lot of emotions involved when you've been slogging away on a film for a number of years and uh, and when you have a lot of hopes for it and uh, expectations and they all sort of come crashing down. It's not a nice, it can't be a nice feeling. But, no. But, and I understand that he was kind of emotional and overreacting, but I got angry at this idea that critics are somehow irrelevant and what they say isn't worth listening to because they're not filmmakers or critics are frustrated filmmakers. That's what, uh, that's but, what I've heard but before. You go well. onto internet movie database and everyone's a critic. Like everyone's if, a critic. if he's going to follow it up with, I applaud any film goer who values their own opinion enough to not base it on what the pack mentality says is good or bad. Yeah. Well, his, his viewpoint was that just prior to the film's release, there was a lot of bad press. But, but uh, that's and, because and there's not an Egyptian in the, mo- in the that's movie. That's right. It was all to do with diversity in the casting. And, um, and that's on him. I think he needs to kind of own that. And yeah, look, but you've got Brian Brown playing I Osiris. I know. It was odd. And I think because he sort of saw it as this mishmash of fantasy um, and sort of mythical, uh, a mythical fantasy epic crossed with like a biblical epic style, like a Cecil B. DeMille style. I heard him reference Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments um, in interviews. And he was obviously it, seeking to make some kind of comic booky old Hollywood style epic. But which is fine if you do it fi- well. If you do it well. But see, apparently now I've, I I was only reading this. He's he cited Guns of Navarone, Lawrence of Arabia, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Sergio Leone westerns as an inspiration for this. Yeah, that's and I don't even know where that's coming from. I I don't yeah. either because those films don't deserve to be said next to Gods of Egypt. It's just not a good film. It's just it's not, not a good film. I love kind it's of. It's also extremely long. Yeah, it's more than two hours long. It is a very long film, and look, I love fantasy. Dune, David mm. Lynch's Dune, is one of my favorite science fiction films. Of all time, I've seen that film dozens and dozens of time, times, and and you may not have seen it. No, I that's, haven't. That's perfectly fine because it's but, long. 
it look, it is kind of, let's face it, it's a bit rubbish, but <laughs> there's so much in it to enjoy for me, and I love it for that. And it's not like I'm incapable of enjoying those kinds of films on that level. And, and it's also not, I'm, you know, I'm not dissing Brian Brown because mm. Brian Brown's a legend, but I'm not sure playing an Egyptian God alongside Jeffrey Rush and Bruce Spence. Jeffrey and... Rush as Ra. That's a, it's got some. So, that's the things that about it that I enjoy in the same way I enjoy Jupiter Ascending because it's kind of got oh, this dear. batshit no, no, crazy go. edge. Got... Yeah, like I still enjoy <laughs> Jupiter Ascending. Granted, had some terrific effects in it, and there was some elements in it that were quite hilarious. There were parts that were great. Yeah, Eddie Redmayne's performance was not one of it's, them. I'm thinking it's the one with um, Magic Mike, dude. What's yes, his name? yes, Channing Tatum, uh, Channing Tatum, yeah. and uh, flying around and and what's his name uh, from Game of Thrones, Beanie. Is that Sean what's Eliza Dushku? No, 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 no. That's uh, Mila Kunis. Oh, close. Yeah, not to be confused with Elijah Dushku. That's uh, True Lies, isn't it? And uh, wasn't she in a Joss Whedon? Yes, Dollhouse, the TV show Joss Whedon made. But that's a digression. Anyway, yes. um, yeah. They're so, always my fault, And this you is notice. the frustrating thing is that, you know, Proyas rails against critics that seem incapable of enjoying his films. And all I can say is, well, I watch plenty of other films like this and love them. So. Yes. All I, all I can really rely on is my gut reaction when I left the cinema and it was just simply, oh my God, like I totally did not enjoy that. And it just uh, I, was the story. It wasn't New like, York Times said, if Gods of Egypt were any worse, it might be a masterpiece. Yeah, it sort of has, like I said, that's why I mentioned Dune is because it does have this kind of crazy ambition gone awry sort of vibe to it. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's a quote unquote terrible film no, it sometimes it, can be enjoyed if it was a roger corman b film yeah but without the money yes maybe it would have yeah, been cool yeah. yeah it might have been just like this is crazy and i'm loving it sort of storyline it felt too much like a studio film given all the elements that were so audacious and so insane it, it, it was, was there was again mm. there was lots to look at he's very good at doing that imagery yes but it wasn't supported with everything Again, else I yeah. found. Remember, like I said, in that comment you made about the, 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 the films that look good, but then it's the story that pulls you in. And this is a film where it looked terrific. In yep. the trailer, I remember watching it thinking, wow, well, I've got to say that. Yeah, it looks nuts. Yep. That, looks, that could be really good fun. And that's what drew you to the cinema to see it. I think it's just a letdown in terms of the actual story itself. It but just didn't engage. $140 million budget. Mm, that's a big budget. Yeah, and Lionsgate apparently mm. reportedly spent $30 million marketing the film. Wow. Uh, even using the Super Bowl. They ran a spot in the Super Bowl, which yeah, is not yeah. cheap. Yeah. And it apparently lost them about $90 million in total. Yeah, that that that's that's a hard pill to swallow. And it won uh, Golden Raspberry Awards as well for Best uh, Worst Picture and Worst Director. It was nominated, sorry. Didn't See, win. I've written here, clumsy, bloated, tedious. Ooh, that's harsh. The bloated is not... That's that's a word I would use. It just, it just is. I posted a comment to Alex on Facebook during this little rant he had. Which is his right. Absolutely is right. I think it's a little bit cringeworthy watching a filmmaker yell at people for not for because for this is this is what I say it's like yelling at somebody for not laughing at a joke you've just told them it's like you cannot you cannot point an accusational finger at the audience and that is critics critics are people that love films I have met very few critics in my life that 
are simply doing it because it's a job they've been assigned. That does happen, but mostly... How do you get that job? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of people just fa- fall into it because they're a journalist or they're a columnist and they get assigned, oh, you're going re- to review films now. And it just happens that way. But uh, most of the, f- the critics I've met and reviewers are passionate about film and they love movies. They're the people he's talking about. He's be- they're the people he's saying, oh, you should just go to my film and not... Um, not comp- listen yeah. to any of the what the critics have said, and it's like, no, dude, it doesn't work that way. It's they're not separate; they're the same people. But based on there being some, you know, if you look at the average kind of gap between films, yeah, we should be due something from him next year, I would hope. Yeah, well, it's called the New Country, and he describes it as a time travel story rock musical, which he was written and will produce with Bradley Fisher who produced uh, Ready or Not, that horror film recently that was quite popular, and he also did Suspiria. It's worth remembering that um, Alex Proyas has a band background, so he has a music background, which might be what attracts him to those kinds of stories. And look, I wish him all success in trying to pull off something like Knowing or something as uh, great as Dark City, but I can't say I'm as big a fan of Gods of Egypt as, as what he seems to be. But, you know, I, look, I engaged him in um, a bit of a chat and uh, it wasn't a massive thing. I made like two comments that he quickly responded to. But he has a lot of acolytes on Facebook, people sort of backing him up going, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're, that's completely right, Alex. You're the only, Give it to them, you know, stick your middle finger up at them. And it, it's a, a bit frustrating, but yeah, a pack of diseased vultures pecking at the bones of a dying carcass. But um, he took to Facebook and said, oops, I think I upset me some critics by questioning the usefulness of their profession. Honestly, for those who love to dish it out on artists, they are so incredibly oversensitive. Poor, sad, petty fools. Looks like I will not be getting too many positive reviews for my future films like I give a shit. That's what he said. And I'm just like, it was annoying to me that he was venting. He was not having any kind of rational debate. He was venting. He's really emotional. And so um, I had to just point out about Roger Ebert. And I actually did say that, you know, it's it's just the yin-yang of filmmaking. It's just the, it's the flip side to making some really well-received landmark films like Dark City or The Crow. I'm thankful that he's made the films that he has. Yeah. And I would yes. anticipate and highly anticipate another film uh, film from him. Mm. Uh, but where is it? Well, that's the thing. Um, I guess we have to wait for the new country. I'd like to see him make something of a bit more weight and gravitas that harks back to those earlier days as a filmmaker. But, you know... We'll have to wait and see, I guess. Look, I definitely think if anyone is interested in checking out his YouTube channel, I highly recommend it because he is, if anything, very much interested in helping young talent and fostering young talent Mm -hmm. and providing people with a means to actually create their own stuff and like empowering filmmakers, young filmmakers and inspiring them. And on YouTube, he's got a lot of, uh, tu- like, not tutorials. Masterclasses. Masterclass type videos. Yep. But he's essentially looking at the camera and just talking about his own experience. He's got some of them, got little infographics that have been edited in. And they're actually quite uh, informative and interesting to watch. You can but hear my notepad. I'm turning on. write that down. It's very, I know, it's very analog, actually, <laughs> hearing paper rustling like that. So, yeah, that's definitely worth checking out. If you uh, search for Alex Proyas YouTube, 
on Google, you'll see he actually has some things called, yeah, they're called Masterclass, but also um, there's a bunch of his uh, short films on there as well. Oh, I've been uh, wondering where I could see those. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm curious. It's, it's, um, Phobos is on there. Okay. That's his new short film. I find that side of him engaging. He does have a side that is 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 all for empowering artists, all for supporting new talent and helping to grow new talent. And he's building a new studio in Sydney, and he hopes that it will be a home to his productions as well as for other filmmakers. And it's basically perhaps that's what he needs. I think he, he, he I think he needs to kind of exercise that um, the influence, the creative influence that he's had, the impact he's had on other filmmakers, myself included, that's what I find inspiring about him. Because he makes, you, you watch these, his little tutorials and he makes you he's feel... He's a good filmmaker. He's a good filmmaker, like a craftsman, a jobbing craftsman, and he makes you feel uh, confident enough that you can get up and go out and make one yourself. And... Yeah, look, I, I, overall, filmically speaking... I think he's a bit of a treasure in terms of Australian filmmaking. I think uh, because he's kind of really utilised or leveraged studio support to pull off some big, big Well, it's, it's, it's only really seven films, isn't it? Yeah. And I own four of them. But I'm, I'm fortunate because we do have The Crow, Dark City, at, at the very least. We have The Crow and Dark City and Knowing. Well, you'll you'll let me know about that. Maybe you should report in next week and tell me. What oh, look, that. Uh, give me more than a week because it's Nicolas Cage. I've got to brace myself for that. That's Nicolas Cage because then I'll force you to watch Mandy. Uh, Alex Proyas, we salute you, sir. Despite the fact that you hold people like myself in great contempt and people like Damo. We like you. We like you. We like your output. And uh, I want to give you a big hug because you're so supportive and empowering towards filmmakers. Well, that's it for this week. And uh, next time we reconvene, it will be discussing and digressing out of yet another filmmaker. And uh, anyway, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Thank you very much.